Welcome to the Managing Miscarriage Podcast. I am Melissa Whitman, founder of the nonprofit One Generation and our current initiative, Managing Miscarriage. We help women through the heartbreak of miscarriage, and as a nonprofit, we run completely on donations. Our services help thousands of women, so please support us by donating through our website, managingmiscarriage.com, or visit our Patreon page for over 30 more miscarriage stories, as well as exclusive content. Check it out at patreon.com slash miscarriage. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash miscarriage. It's also linked in the details below. Thank you for tuning in. My guest today has experienced two miscarriages this year, one in January around nine weeks and one in July around 14 weeks. So she's going to tell us today about this story, but also the experience of raising two small kids while going through these miscarriages. Ellen, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, how are you? I'm well. (laughs) So take us to the beginning of the journey, I guess, because Mm -hmm. let's hear a little synopsis about your first two pregnancies. Yeah. So my husband and I have been married now about four and a half years, um, but together almost 10. And we actually started trying to get pregnant right away when we got married because I have endometriosis and had been told that getting pregnant would probably be really difficult. So we didn't want to waste any time knowing that it might take a long time to get pregnant. Um, First pregnancy, actually, we got married after eight months of trying, which was really good because I was told if after six months we weren't pregnant to actually start looking into like fertility specialists and things like that. Um, So that felt fairly quick considering what I was expecting. Um, In very pretty healthy pregnancy all along, um, you know, I had some blood pressure issues at the end and ended up being induced, but overall really healthy pregnancy, very healthy baby. Delivery was pretty normal. Um, And then our son, Jack, I think was like 10 months old when we found out we were pregnant with our daughter, Eva. So they're about 17 months apart. Um, So a little close, but at this point wouldn't have it any other way. And same thing, Eva, very healthy pregnancy. Um, Up until the end, I did have preeclampsia. So I ended up being induced at 37 weeks, but she was full term. So get again, a pretty easy delivery. And other than that, everything was, you know, very straightforward. Um, Eva, we actually considered her our little miracle baby because of my endometriosis. We know that my left fallopian tube wasn't working properly. So every time we tried, when we were trying to get pregnant, kind of knew like every other month it could happen because if I happened to, you know, ovulate on the left side, it, the egg wouldn't be able to travel anywhere. And with her at the first ultrasound, we found out that I had ovulated on the left side. And it was so crazy. Yeah, the tech was like, not that this really matters, but I'm able to tell, like, this is the side you ovulated on. And both my husband and I were like, that's actually a really big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Because that side shouldn't work. Um, So both of them have just been huge blessings. And 
really normal, straightforward pregnancies, other than um, thinking it would be harder to get pregnant than it was. And did miscarriage cross your mind at any point during these, Um, during the first two pregnancies? It had because I knew that it is something that's fairly common. Um, I didn't know too many people that had had miscarriages, but I have a, a couple of my sisters have experienced it. So I knew it was there and like always kind of thought, well, once I get to 12 weeks, it'll be, we're in the clear, but it wasn't like a huge fear. Um, With my son, I think because we had been trying so hard for, you know, like I, I, it was, I thought getting pregnant would be harder with him. So I remember in those first 12 weeks with him, just praying that the baby would be okay. It wasn't a prayer of, oh, I hope I don't miscarry, just overall healthy baby, you know, like I've wanted this so bad. And so it was a really healthy baby was like a really strong thing on my mind with him, but it wasn't a miscarriage driven prayer, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. And, And then this last December of 2017, we actually found out we were pregnant. And um, it was super overwhelming because that meant three kids under the age of three, because my due date would have been this past August. Um, And that's when my son turned three. So I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have a three-year-old, a one and a half-year-old and a newborn. That sounds really overwhelming. (laughs) But we were really excited. Um, And everything felt very normal until the first ultrasound, which they decided to do at eight weeks. They did an early ultrasound with my daughter. And so I think my doctor just kind of thought we'll do another early ultrasound and make sure everything is measuring on track. And at that ultrasound, the baby was measuring two weeks smaller than it should have been. So it was measuring about six weeks. Um, And the heart rate was really slow. The tech kept having me hold my breath so that she wouldn't pick up my heart rate at all and that she was only getting the babies. And I think the baby's heart rate was around 68 beats per minute. Um, And so the doctor had said, well, your dates could just be wrong. And if the baby is only six weeks, that could be normal because the heart might have just started beating and it can take a little while for it to speed up. Or it's the sign, early signs of a miscarriage. We just have to wait. Um, and she kind of asked me what I felt most comfortable with. Like, do I want to wait a week and see what happens and have another ultrasound? Or I can do blood work every two days and we can see what happens with my numbers. And so I was like, well, I don't want to wait a week. That's going to make me go crazy yeah. not doing anything for a whole week. So I decided to do blood work. And between the first, like they did blood work and then had me wait two days and did blood work again. And the doctor said, well, your numbers have gone up, but not the way we would want them to. They didn't double. And so she said, let's wait a couple more days and we'll see what the blood work shows. But that was on a Friday. So I'd wait the whole weekend and then go on Monday and then was supposed to get the results like within the next few days. Um, 
And so I think it was after I went in again for blood work and it still wasn't quite going up the way that it should. So they did another ultrasound and that's when we found out that the baby didn't have a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. So that was hard. That whole week was hard just because I knew it was kind of a, I knew it was a possibility. Um, but I just kept telling myself like, the baby, like, if I tell myself the baby's going to be okay, and if I tell my body, I remember I just kept thinking, produce more HCG body. Like, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Make those numbers go up. And I kept thinking about our daughter, you know, and like, okay, things have happened before that, that medically shouldn't have. So my body's kind of taken over and known what to do in the past. So it will again. Um, that's just what I kept telling myself that whole week. So that, like, finding out that the baby didn't have a heartbeat was hard and disappointing because I felt the whole week I'd been so positive. So to then to have the, like, final, this is what's happened, it's just so you don't have any hope anymore, you know, that you're holding on to. Um, And the my doctor's office, the ultrasound isn't in the office. It's actually across the hall. And I really appreciated the way that that ultrasound facility handled it because they have an on-call doctor, so you don't have to wait to find out, which was nice. The It wasn't my doctor that came in and told us, but they had a doctor in the office who came in and looked at the ultrasound and told us right away. So that time we didn't have to go home and kind of wait to hear my doctor get the results and then call us. And so I did appreciate that. I felt like the way that the um, tech and the doctor handled it. I couldn't have asked for any better experience for such horrible news because um, we'd already waited long enough. So waiting longer would have been really hard. Right. Yeah. So did they come in, talk to you about what they saw and go over options right away? They didn't go over the options. That's where they did say, we're going to send all of this info over to your doctor and then she'll call you later today to let you know what options you have moving forward. Um, and I think it was the, it was like an hour later that my doctor called and she said, I could either, you know, wait and see if my body would pass the baby naturally. Um, I could take the medicine that would induce, you know, passing the baby, or I could do the DNC. And I had decided to wait and see if my body would pass it naturally. Um, because even though I knew the baby didn't have a heartbeat, it still felt wrong kind of forcing it to happen. I think I still had that, like it hadn't hit me yet. And so I wasn't ready to take any steps that would force the mis- you know, the actual passing of the baby. Right. Um, and so that was, I think, on a Tuesday. And I didn't start bleeding until Saturday. And I remember... Those days of waiting was so hard because I felt like you never knew when it was going to happen. So doing things with the kids or just I didn't want to go anywhere because I didn't want to be out in public and suddenly start bleeding. Like the waiting and the not knowing when it would start was killing me. Um, So I think I, I relied on my family. I have a lot of sisters and both my parents actually live next door to us and my in-laws live in town. And so they really rallied around and helped out with uh, my other kids so that 
I was able to kind of just rest and relax at home, um, waiting for it to start. But it, you just get more anxious every day because you don't know what that day is going to bring. Um, but the actual, so on Saturday I started spotting and then I do feel lucky in that it was very painful and traumatic, but I didn't necessarily have the like labor pains that I've heard other people describe where they have horrible, you know, contraction type feelings. Um, I was in a ball on the couch. Like I was definitely uncomfortable, but I still think I was in shock and not fully aware of like what exactly was happening um, until later, like after everything had passed. So it's definitely something I'll never forget, but I just like, I don't even know if I know how to describe how, that whole day went because I think it was a little bit of a blur. I, I do remember in the morning feeling so anxious and saying I just have to do something. And so I actually took my son to a friend's house and we had the kids play. And I just sat on her chair and kind of talked with her about everything that was happening. And I remember telling her that feeling of I wish I knew when it would start. Um, and then we got home and that's when I started spotting. And so I told my husband, I think, you know, I think things are going to kind of start like I'm getting cramps and I'm getting uncomfortable. Um, So I think it's, it is going to happen today. Um, And my son went with my parents to actually a family birthday party. So it was just my husband and I, and then our daughter, but she was pretty easygoing. And so she was around. Um, And it wasn't until the evening that I actually passed the baby and thought it was the baby, but wasn't a hundred percent sure. But now looking back, know that it was. Did things ease up after that? They did. Yeah. It is pretty crazy how that happens. Like I said, the body I, is amazing. I, I, it's, yeah. it's awful to go yeah, through, but it's it, incredible. Right. Like I, I, I knew I was having really bad cramps. Um, but I don't mentally think I was aware of what was happening. And then after I did pass the baby, like it, it definitely eased up. Um, but yeah, it is, it is kind of crazy how mentally you don't really know what exactly is going on, but my body did just kind of take over and handle, you know, what was supposed to happen. So yeah. And what was the recovery like? So that following week was actually pretty rough because I continued to bleed off and on, I think, for another week. Um, It wasn't continual bleeding. It was like if I could be sitting down and I would be fine. And if I stood up to go do something or to grab something, I would just feel like a gush of blood come out. Mm, Uncomfortable. Um, Yeah. And especially hard with the two little kids because you can't really just sit still around them. Right. Um, and so I did, I had my mother-in-law take them a couple days and I, I remember, I think the Tuesday after, so like, um, three days after actually passing everything, I called her that morning on, like she wasn't planning on taking them. And I just said, I'm really not feeling well. Are you able to, you know, meet me and take the kids today? And she did. So, 
I think I just tried to lay down as much as possible because if I was laying down, I felt okay. But as soon as I got up to do anything is when it, like I would start cramping and I would start bleeding. And for some reason, I didn't think to call my doctor and make sure that that was normal or that everything was okay. I think just because they had said to expect a heavy period is what it should feel like. And that is, is kind of what it felt like for me. And I was like, well, periods can go on for, you know, almost a week. And so I guess this is normal for me to just still be bleeding this, you know, this many days after. Um, But then when I went in for my follow-up, my doctor was like, oh, you should have called us. (laughs) Just like everything was okay. But she was like, you should have a really low threshold for calling, especially if you're going through something like that. Um, and she like, she wanted to check my iron cause she was like, that was a lot of bleeding, but everything was okay. But, um, I just, I do tend to do that though with the doctor. I think, oh, I, I was fine. I just, you know, laid on the couch and used a heating pad and kind of got through it. And she's like, well, you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. But, same. In the yeah. Same and then you're yeah. like, oh yeah, I probably should have. Told yeah. You. In hindsight, I guess I could have, but mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> so. So you got through that week mm-hmm. physically. Yes. What is this like emotionally for you? Um, emotionally, I think I felt very numb to all of it. Um, it was it. It was really hard to process just what had happened because even though we had a week to know, like that week of waiting, it still doesn't feel real. Um. And I really leaned into like my family and then my community at church. I have a really close uh, group of girlfriends who have kids who are the same age as ours. And one of them had experienced a miscarriage about five years ago. And so I leaned into that. And what's interesting is that after that miscarriage versus this more recent miscarriage, I had a much easier time talking about it and kind of, you know, saying how I felt. So I think that helped me um, work through those emotions really well. Um, And I was able to talk to my husband about it. Him and I, you know, talked and shared with each other a lot about how, you know, how hard it was. And we had told our kids, well, Eva was, I mean, she was one. So actually when I miscarried in January, I I passed the baby in the tissue the day before her first birthday, actually. And so I remember thinking how crazy it was that that year prior, I was being induced with her on January 20th. And then this year on January 20th, I was losing a baby. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, but I also felt like, what better weekend to go through something horrible and then the next day be able to celebrate another, my other, one of my other baby's lives, um, in her first birthday. So that like the kids were good too, just because I think they're such reminders of like what you have. And our son had barely just started kind of like learning to pray. And so he would say that he wanted to pray for the baby. And so those little things, as hard as it was to hear, were good reminders of like their innocence and just being more open about things when we tend to shy away from it and not want to talk about it because it is so hard. Um, 
So just leaning into my family and community is what got me through it emotionally. That's wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) But then. Yeah. But then Mm -hmm. um, right around Mother's Day this year, we found out we were pregnant again, which we were so, uh, again, so excited for and had just kind of felt like all right, we went through this horrible thing in January. And for me personally, had only feelings of excitement, not nervousness. Like in December, when I found out I was pregnant, it was a really mixed bag of emotions. Like I was so excited, but terrified of three kids that close together. And like, are we ready for this? And am I ready for it? And so this time around, I was like, I, I'm just so grateful that we're pregnant again. I'm, I don't have any doubts or fears whatsoever. I'm only excited and grateful. Um, And we told our, both of our parents almost right away. We always, we're very close with our family. So each time we've been pregnant, we've told our family almost immediately. Um, You know, friends are like social media. We wait a bit longer, but family, my sisters know me so well that it's almost like the second I find out, they can just tell. So it's actually harder to keep it a secret <laughs> than it would be to just tell everyone. Um, and so on Mother's Day this year is when we told, like, my sisters and my brother and, you know, other close family members. Um, and this summer, when being pregnant, like, just a lot of stuff happened um, that – kept telling me like the baby was going to be okay. Um, we, my doctor was really sensitive and cognizant of after having had the miscarriage in January, wanting to make sure that she kept a close eye on me and that I felt like I should call her for any reason, even if it's just a question or I have, you know, a little inkling or, um, you know, she just, I saw her the first time, like usually I think when you have your first appointment, you see the nurse practitioner first, or that's how her office has always done it in the past. And my very first appointment was with her. I didn't see the nurse practitioner at all. Um, And so we, again, we're going to do an early ultrasound at eight weeks. And we were driving to that ultrasound and got in a small car accident. Everyone was okay. It was low impact, but that was kind of emotional because I was, you know, oh my goodness, we're on our way to the ultrasound, such an exciting time. And then, you know, even being in a small car accident while pregnant, like just, it was very stressful. Um, But luckily I was still able to get in later that day for an ultrasound because especially after getting in a car accident, I was like, I really need to see this baby's heartbeat (laughs) now. And we got to see it, and it was one of the best things ever. And I just thought, okay, all of this has happened today, but we saw the heartbeat. The baby is healthy. This is a sign that everything is going to be okay, you know. Um, and the, ba- the baby was measuring actually a day big, which I remember being relieved about. And the ultrasound tech was like, well, that's, you know, they can range. And I was like, I the last baby was was measuring small. So I will take any, you know, any added growth that, that we can get. Um, and then to my doctor said, well, let's have you come in at 10 weeks. Um, and we'll listen on the Doppler just to, it's, 
we don't usually do that. But again, after having had a miscarriage, we, we want to do everything we can to make you feel better and make you feel confident. Um, so come in, it'll just be a quick appointment. We'll find the heartbeat and then we'll have your normal appointment two weeks later as scheduled. So I went in right at 10 weeks, like the day I turned 10 weeks. And I was a little nervous about it because I knew that that's right when you can hear the heartbeat on the Doppler. So the doctor even said, if we don't hear it, I don't want you to worry because it's still early to hear it on the Doppler. But she found it almost immediately. So I was like, super relieved, oh, you know, what a relief. Yeah. yeah, it was so relieving. And I knew statistically, even if you were before 12 weeks, that once you've seen and heard the heartbeat, the chances of miscarriage are really low. And so I was like, we've seen it twice. It's, you know, we're good. Um, so my next scheduled appointment was four weeks later. And I went in and I was 14 weeks on the day. And I still remember the doctor, you know, she walked in and she was like, welcome to the second trimester. What a relief to get here. You know, I, I know it's been a tough past couple months. Like, how are you feeling? Everything was normal. And she always um, does the heart rate last. So she, you know, we go through all the questions and kind of check everything that she needs to check. And um, so she's like, okay, we'll just get the Doppler out. We'll find the heart rate and you'll be all set. And I was laying there and she was kind of moving the wand around for a little bit. And she, you know, she was like, okay, but I'm making you nervous. So I'm just going to move it over here. <laughs> and she said that a couple of times. And I don't know how long she was looking for. It felt like an eternity, but I just, in my head kept saying, we've seen the heart rate or we've seen the heartbeat. We've heard the heartbeat. Like we got in a car accident and the baby was healthy. This, this isn't happening. Everything's fine. You know, just, and she said, sometimes the baby's still so small that he or she can be hiding. You know, it, it, it's happened where you can't find the heartbeat at this stage, but let's do an ultrasound just to make sure. And she's like, I want you to do fine. Like, the woman at the front desk will find a place that can do it today for you. There, I'm going to put in the um, order for them to call me right away. And I want you to know by the end of the day, like, I don't want you having to wait overnight to hear what happened. Um, so ideally, I wanted to go to the place across the hall where we'd had all of our ultrasounds before knowing that, you know, as in January, if it was something bad, they have a doctor in the office who would tell us right away. And, I liked that office too, because they don't hide the screen from you. They let you see everything. And the text had always kind of explained what they were seeing and, oh, that's, you know, what they explain everything. So they're very open, which I appreciated because I would, you know, you want to know good or bad right away. You don't want to have to wait, but they couldn't get us in until the next morning. So I said, okay, well, let's try somewhere else. I don't care how far it is, as long as I have time to drink enough water because they make you drink, you know, the 40 ounces of water before the ultrasound. And as long as we have time to get there on time, like, I'll drive almost anywhere. Um, so we went to a place that was fairly far away. And my husband wasn't with me at this appointment, because since we'd already seen and heard the heartbeat twice, I figured it's like a 15-minute appointment, just routine, no big deal. And my mom had my kids, which was nice that I didn't have to, you know, last minute kind of figure out what to do, like to get a babysitter lined up. So 
while they were trying to figure out where we were going to do the ultrasound, I texted my husband and was like, you know, you need to be ready to either come meet me somewhere. I'm going to come home and we have to drive to an ultrasound together and let him know what was going on. So I was like, I don't, I don't know details of like where we're going to be going yet, but just be ready to leave the house. Um, And so they got us an appointment at a place we'd never been to. And we drove there and we're like waiting in the waiting room. And I think the appointment was for three 30 and I slowly noticed like everyone was being called back, but us, and it got to almost 20 minutes past our appointment time. And was, I finally went up and asked and part of me wanted to be like, look, this ultrasound is to check whether or not our baby has a heartbeat. So I can't wait another minute. Yeah, (laughs) You need to to get us back here. You know, (laughs) they were like, Oh, it should only be a few more minutes. And so they finally called us back and it was just such an opposite experience from the other ultrasounds I'd been used to. They didn't, my husband could see the screen, but they, I couldn't see the screen from where I was looking at. And, um, the tech, you know, he kind of looked around and I saw him take photos and measurements of things and he didn't really say very much. And he then did finally say, I'm going to get somebody else because I am having a hard time seeing the heartbeat, but let me grab someone who's been doing it for longer than me. And so I said, okay. Um, And so she came in and she looked for a minute and then she asked if she could do an internal exam. So once she said that, I kind of like my heart sank. (laughs) So I was like, okay, she's obviously not seeing what she wants to. So she has to do the, you know, transvaginal ultrasound. And so they set that up and she she only looked for about a moment before she just, you know, kind of put away everything and said, okay, well, we have an on-call doctor who's going to look at the results and then they'll call your doctor and let you know. And I was like, okay. Um, And then when we were walking out the original ultrasound tech, he looked at us and he's like, yeah, I'm really sorry. We just can't tell you anything. We're not allowed to. So we kind of knew, but didn't know for sure. Because I was like, if he's having a hard time seeing the heartbeat and for him to say, we're not allowed to tell you anything is, it's an indicator of what that, what that meant. Um, So we actually waited that whole night for the doctor to call. And I did call my doctor's office and leave a voicemail with the on-call doctor just, you know, to see if they had the results and if they could call back. And later found out she did try calling me, but I must not have on the voicemail, like left my phone number correctly because she said, well, it went to voicemail, but it only said the phone number. It didn't say like, oh, this is Ellen. And I didn't, I wouldn't want to leave that info on a voicemail anyways. Um, But I never got a missed call. So the next morning I called like at 7 a.m. and left a voicemail on the online uh, or the on-call, you know, voicemail line for my doctor's office. And my doctor called back almost immediately. And she first apologized. She was like, you should, the fact that you had to wait overnight is terrible. Um, but she confirmed what we had thought, you know, the tech, we, she confirmed our worst thoughts that the baby didn't have a heartbeat any longer. And so then she right away told me what my options were, which 
really was mostly the DNC because I was so far along. She said, she's like, I wouldn't recommend doing like waiting and seeing and having you pass it at home just because there's be a much so much more painful. Right. And she's like, there's a higher risk of hemorrhage. And I wouldn't like, if you were at home, that could be very dangerous. Um, she said, if you wanted to do the medication, I would be okay with that, but I would want to admit you into the hospital again, because of the risk of hemorrhage, like we would have to address it right away. Um, so I was like, okay, well, let me talk to my husband and then I'll call you back. And that morning did feel like a lot of phone calls just in terms of asking questions. And I was worried, you know, I was like, since I have endometriosis and so much scar tissue as it is from, I think I've had surgery four times to have ovarian cysts removed. Um, I was like, I also kind of want to do what's safest for me and like wanting to be able to have kids in the future. Um, so we ended up scheduling the DNC for that Friday. This was a Tuesday that we found out that Tuesday morning was when we found out. And so the DNC was scheduled for a Friday. Um, in the DNC, it didn't scare me for medicine or I mean, for like, like medical reasons. I'd I'd had surgery multiple times. So going into general anesthesia and that whole process didn't scare me. It just, I guess every option of how to pass your baby sounds so like barbaric. You know, I was like, I don't want to do it at home on a toilet or in a hospital room, but having like, when you read about what they do in a DNC, I was like, all of it just sounds so awful. Like, how do you choose between all of these situations that are like that's the last thing you want to be choosing between um so the whole week I just kind of prayed like whatever if I'm supposed to have the DNC then don't start bleeding don't start cramping just let it let my body be until then but if I start bleeding like if it's meant to happen some other way then let my body have that start just because I didn't I I felt like I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I guess that was like the best choice medically. So that's why I went with it. Um, so that week was just hard because I felt so uncertain of anything and still felt really numb. It didn't like, I couldn't believe it was happening again and almost six months to the day. So I had said I passed the first baby in January on the 20th and my DNC was scheduled for July 20th. So I was like, it just is so much and such little time to really be processing. Um, so that week waiting for the DNC was hard. I think I just spent a lot of time with family um, and with our kids and with my husband and rested. I felt physically like my body didn't, I wasn't cramping. I wasn't spotting. I had had no indication of what was happening. Um, and actually the baby had just, the baby was measuring at 13 weeks, five days. So the baby had, the heartbeat had stopped just two days before that ultrasound. Um, but then the DNC itself wasn't very painful physically. Um, emotionally, I remember coming out of surgery and being in recovery and just, I broke down, like sobbed really hard for a really long time. That I'll never forget. And I think 
you know, the doctor, even when I did the follow-up, she, like, wanted to make sure my husband was okay. Because she's like, it's so hard to see someone you love in that amount of pain. And it really hit emotionally. Um, I think probably because I had just come out of anesthesia and, you know, you aren't fully aware. So I just emotionally, like emotionally, I needed that to allow myself to break down. Because you want to feel so strong. (laughs) And then it hits. So that was, that was pretty tough. Um, But then when we got home from the hospital, my kids were with my mom and my sisters, which I felt really good about because I knew that they would, they were with their cousins and they were with family having a really good day while I could just rest and heal. Um, So that day was, was pretty tough, not really physically, but emotionally all really seemed to hit the second I came out of surgery, I think, too, because it hit me that the baby was not with us anymore, and it was actually gone. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. That empty feeling. Yeah. Like it was finally... Right. You were actually alone. Right, exactly. Um, and my husband had said, and I feel so bad, but during... So during the ultrasound earlier that week, he could see the screen, and he was like... it. I could see the baby's hands and arms and legs. And so knowing that he saw, like, it wasn't just, like, a small little, you know, blob on the screen, but you could see the the developed baby, knowing that that was what I, you know, what we had and then lost. Just, yeah, you feel really empty. Um. So, but we... I can't believe the amount of support that just showed up that weekend and that following week. It really blew us away. Um, One of my girlfriends from church, she sent food over that night, but not just like a, not just like a pizza. They sent over like a full spread of so much food so that we didn't have to worry about like dinner and like, so that there was enough for leftovers so that we wouldn't have to worry about cooking for the kids the next day. Um, over the next few weeks, we got numerous cards that were, you know, like condolence cards. And we had, I think our whole dining room table had bouquets of flowers because throughout the week people had sent flowers. Um, that Sunday after the uh, DNC, someone just showed up at the house. Someone from church showed up at the house with comfort food. So they brought like muffins and macaroni and cheese. And um, it just like, I had, I, that, I had not expected to see that amount of support come out from everyone. Um, so that was really touching and really helped a lot to feel that support and not even have to, you know, like we didn't have to say anything. We just, just to feel it, it, it left both of us speechless really. Um, and then even like a month later, one of my friends sent me a card that just was another card of like, you know, I know how hard this must be and just think, think about these things and we're here for you and we love you. And so to even have that ongoing, not right after it happened, but that continual support has made a really big difference. 
So that's amazing. Yeah. It, you know, it's so hard and you mm-hmm. have that support. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that that helped a lot. Good. Good. And I mean, clearly it's still raw. These emotions yeah. don't just <laughs> go away when people stop asking about them. Right. So how are you doing today, day to day? Um, I'm doing better, I would say. It's been the the hardest thing with the second one, I think, was that physically I was feeling better pretty quickly, but had such a hard time day to day just doing normal things. Um feel like with my son and daughter as young as they are, like I'm I I work from home, I have my own small business and I take care of them. And so there's really no, you don't, there's no break, even though we have a really amazing family um, who will babysit and come help out. And, you know, I can bring the kids over. It still didn't feel like it felt like no matter how I was feeling, you still have to get up and take care of the kids and be happy for them and do things with them. And, not pretend that everything is okay, but you can't really stop. Um, Luckily, this summer when it happened, they were still kind of on the same schedule in terms of naps. And so when I put them down for a nap was when I would let myself just kind of feel it. And that would be like my hour where I could do whatever I needed for myself. And then, you know, but then the second they get up, it's, it's back to whatever the normal stuff is supposed to be. Um, But that compared to today, I feel like I have made a shift where I'm not, I don't feel so much like in the thick of the pain. I feel like I'm more in the healing process of it, but that really just started, I would say within the past few weeks. Um, So it's been really hard. But I've also learned in the past few weeks that sharing what is so hard about it is what will help me with healing because then other people are allowed to like give me, you know, I don't know if words of wisdom is the best way to describe it. But support um, of some kind. Yeah, exactly. Like I always, when it was happening, kept just thinking, you know, people always say like, God doesn't give you what you can't handle. And he knows what you're strong enough and are strong enough for. And so I almost had reversed that on myself. Like, well, what if I can't handle three kids? And so that's why this happened. Or what if I'm not doing a good enough job? And that's why this has happened. And before I actually said that to somebody else, it was only me telling myself that that's why things were happening. Versus hearing someone else say, that's not how it works. And God wouldn't do that. And you are doing a good job. And so I'm learning that opening up more is allowing people to give me the support that I need rather than just keeping it to myself. And I would tell my, the good, the thing about this has been that it has allowed my husband and I to talk about so many things that we wouldn't have before or to talk in a different way. We've been through some difficult things together, but this is the first um, in our marriage as a married couple. And I think it's the first really difficult thing that 
the both of us have been experiencing together at the same time. Um, so he's, I've shared everything with him and he's been, he's amazing and so supportive. And he did say, that's ridiculous. Or you're strong enough to go through these horrible things. So why not look at it as you are strong enough, not you're not strong enough. Um, but allowing other people to know how I'm feeling about it rather than just saying like, oh, you know, it, it gets better with time or every day is different. Um, I've noticed a shift in kind of, like I said, not being in the middle of that pain, but now, oh, okay, well, how can I heal from it and, and work on, you know, not feeling like you're in that horrible, horrible place every day, day in and day out for months. Cause that's how it felt. <laughs> and what has helped you the most besides talking to your wonderful group of yeah. supporters? What else? Um, Is so there something the, you've done, something you've written? Yeah. So this podcast has helped a lot. I think um, the first time I emailed you, I was saying it just like, it's crazy how you don't know these women, but you hear their stories and you can relate to them and you feel like you have this support system around the world that you've never met or talked to in real life. Um, so I, it was, you know, in July after we lost the baby and I just went into iTunes and searched miscarriage and this came up and I was like, I'm going to start listening to this. And then for a good week or two, I like couldn't stop. I just listened to it nonstop. Um, and then now every week I'm like, Oh, I have a new episode to listen to. So it's, it's made a really big difference for me. Um, especially because it was so hard to talk about that just listening felt comforting. Um, I also found a shop in Etsy that has a miscarriage awareness necklace. And for every necklace you purchase, she then the following month will donate a necklace to a mom who has either lost a child like at birth or in early infancy or lost a child to miscarriage. So that was kind of healing to find. Um, and the same woman, she has uh, her, it's called the Cooper Project. She, in this month of October, since it's infant loss and miscarriage awareness month, she makes these pink and blue bracelets and um, you can sign up to get one, but also she, a couple, you know, I think it was in August, asked if anyone would be able to help make them. And she's back east. She's not here. But so I said I was, I would be able to. And so, you know, got the materials and made a little over a hundred pink and blue bracelets that I then sent back to her to give out to people for the month of October. So that was really healing because it felt like it was a way to kind of give back and contribute to women who have gone through this horrible experience um and just leaning into my faith even though it's been kind of hard because with everything that happened this year I felt really angry about it and kind of why is this happening and it's caused so much self-doubt and I'm really mad about all of it but still leaning into faith and knowing that I don't have to have all of the answers and that it's, you know, one day I'll be able to meet these babies that I lost and just kind of holding on to that has helped me outside of my family and my friends. Thank you for that insight. 
Thanks. So hard to pull some positive out of awful, awful, awful situations. So yeah. thank you yeah. for taking a minute to share that. Cause I know yeah. when a lot of people are listening, they're in the thick of it and kind of mm-hmm. need, need yeah. a little bit of inspiration. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, like I said, I really, really appreciate the podcast and what an impact it's had for me. So um, I, I just can't say thank you enough. Well, I love to hear that. <laughs> I'm so glad <laughs> it was helpful. Interested in hearing more miscarriage stories? We have over 30 more episodes on Patreon. Check it out at patreon.com slash miscarriage. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash miscarriage. It's also linked in the details below. Stay connected. Find us on Instagram at managing.miscarriage. On Facebook at Miscarriage Nonprofit, and don't forget to download our free e-guide on our website, managingmiscarriage.com. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating so more women can find us. Also, listen to exclusive episodes directly on the Patreon app.